This is an 18 Maiden Lane production. Hey folks, just a content warning here at the beginning. We do talk about murder, death, bullying, and inappropriate student-teacher relationships in this episode of Heavenly Features. Hello and welcome to Heavenly Features, a podcast where myself, Sophie, and my friend Kim. Hey, how's it going? Uh, we get together every week and talk about films. Kim is living abroad at the moment, so this is our way of communicating as we always talk about films. And every week we come with a film that we've recommended to each other to watch and come together to talk about it. So Kim, what film have you chosen for us to watch this week? Uh, okay, so uh, this week my pick is the 2017 film My Days of Mercy. So this was directed by Tali Shalom Azir and written by Joe Barton. Uh, it st- uh, stars Elliot Page and Kate Mara. So essentially this film is just about the relationship that forms between Elliot Page's character Lucy and Kate Mara's character Mercy. So they meet because they're on opposing sides of the death penalty argument. Uh, Lucy is fighting against the death penalty alongside their family because their dad is on death row for the murder of their mum and Mercy is fighting for the death penalty due to her father's law enforcement partner being killed excellent i feel like we should just like say up front that this film was um filmed and released before elliot page's transition um so we will be talking about this as a lesbian film even though that may not or does not um align with their um gender so why uh was this a film in particular that you wanted to talk about well mainly i mean Firstly, you know how much I love Elliot Page. But um, (laughs) so uh, it kind of links two of my big interests together. Because as you know, I love anything queer and also love anything really about like crime and punishment. So it kind Mm. of just links them both together um, and not in a way that a lot of the films that have queerness in along with crime and punishment do as in there's not the like evil queer character who's done the killing or whatever so yeah it's mainly i mainly chose it because it's it's two of my favorite hobbies crime and queerness (laughs) (laughs) as in she's interested in learning about people who've committed crimes not committing the crimes herself yeah yeah for the record (laughs) (laughs) i feel like i should make that legal disclaimer there Thank you. Yeah. Cool. Excellent. I really enjoyed this uh, film. Um, I probably wouldn't have actually watched it or got around to it. You would have recommended it. I wouldn't have watched it because <laughs> I procrastinate. Um, but I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I felt like it was a really interesting, uh, non-judgmental look into the two different sides of the story, which, or like the argument, which is obviously a very controversial one about the death penalty. Yeah. Um, we we both live in um, or come from the UK where the death penalty has been illegal in this country since the 1960s. So it's not really a topic that we hear about that much in this country. So it's still a really big thing, obviously, in certain states in America. Well, I mean, last, the conversations there. last year, like in 2020, um, according to Wikipedia, 17 people were put to death in America. Yeah. Like... So it's obviously still a huge thing, like 17, that's that's way more than one a month. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Obviously, it's a lot less than a lot of other countries. Like I saw, again, thank you, Wikipedia, that China has over a thousand people put to death mm. in 2020 alone. But it's like, for us, obviously, living in a place where there is no death penalty, it's such a, a foreign concept to us, like in this day and age. Like, I understand it's been around since basically the dawn of humans, like, burn the witch. And when there wasn't a jail system, the death penalty was basically the only option. Yeah. Like, just in this day and age, with the other systems we've got in place, I just... It's such a foreign concept, even though we know it happens all around the world. And we know, obviously, in some places, we could be put to death for being queer. (laughs) Like, Mm. I think that uh, it's a really um, interesting film because even with that serious kind of moral backdrop to the whole thing, there still is this opportunity for these two people to come together. These people of completely opposing um, belief systems or or values, perhaps, um, to find some way to connect to each other and to have some form of like romantic entanglement. I think that's really um, 
and uh, quite an interesting and story to have because more so than ever is it relevant for, to have people from different sides of political and ethical views um, coming together and trying to understand each other. And I feel like that's what these characters do really well in the story. They don't necessarily always talk about their beliefs, but they're still able to find commonalities um, or interests or attraction in each other, um, despite this huge problem moral difference yeah and i think the the way that they deal with it so well i think is to show that lucy and mercy they sort of come and they talk to each other and understand each other's points of view on yeah. on it rather than rather than just shutting down which is exactly what happens when mercy goes to lucy's house and meets uh lucy's sister it's immediately shut down and mercy's the bad guy and same when Merce, when Lucy goes to Mercy's, uh, Mercy's father immediately is like, you were on the other side and shuts shuts down. Whereas Lucy and Mercy talk to each other and listen to each other's views and opinions and help each other. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of forgiveness of each other in their relationship. They may not agree with everything, but they're willing to kind of forgive that part of the other person that they don't agree with um, because there's so much more to celebrate. Um, and so many more reasons to come together and to help each other. So even if it is a case of, you know, not believing in uh, the death penalty, for example, Mercy still helps um, Lucy by giving her information about uh, tests and things that can be done to try and prove uh, that her father is innocent. Yeah. So they find this way of being able to talk about these really big, heavy topics but in a way where both of them actually meet in the middle and feel comfortable. Yeah, and I think that it's just the way that that Mercy deals with clearly as as a law like she studied law and works in a lawyer's office and she's a junior lawyer I think she said. The way she comes into the situation to ask the questions about how Lucy's allegedly father's killing of mother happened like what happened what the circumstances were like she comes at it from a point of view of a lawyer asking for like the investigating questions and but she doesn't do it in a way that is judgmental or saying well your dad obviously did it like she's Mm. just asking the questions to get the background yeah and i think that it's interesting that she appears to be perhaps follow a more kind of rational approach to things probably because of her training as a lawyer you know, she's like, well, he took somebody else's life, so his life should be taken. In the example of the person who um, took the life of her father's um, law enforcement partner. Yeah. So I feel like she comes maybe more rationally. And then understandably, Lucy comes from perhaps a more emotional place um, because it is something that is so deeply connected to her. And she has this trauma connected to this crime. And she, from a young age, has believed everything that her older sister has said to her and trusted her in that. And so she's a much more emotional character because she has such a huge burden on her back and, and trauma. And these this is a very issue that is incredibly, incredibly close to home. And it's really interesting. I'm not saying that uh, those specific sides of the argument are always going to be more emotional or more rational, but it's interesting that they have these two very different personality types that are therefore, she's able to use her emotion to make Mercy um, understand a little bit more about the kind of feeling behind um, the death penalty, the effect that it has on the people that are left behind or the people in those uh, those people's families. Um, and then Mercy is, is able to help uh, Lucy to pick apart some of the things um, don't quite sound right in her father's case and that there are things that are uh, rationally improbable about what she's been told or what she has maybe, um, you know, the the reasons given for some of her experiences um, related to her father's case. So it's really nice to see how that kind of, they help each other in that way through their different personality types. Um, as yeah. well, I also I also like that in that the film itself doesn't shy away from talking about some of the issues with the death penalty um, cases in the US. So, like for example, the the one where they first meet, where Lucy and Mercy first meet, is the one 
where Mercy's father's partner was killed by the person who's being put to death. So that's how they meet. Mm-hmm. Um, and the person who did that is a mentally disabled person. Yes. So obviously that changes the narrative of are they culpable for their actions like and they have a discussion about it where one of the mercy's family says like oh is it he was competent enough to point and shoot like so he's competent enough to be put to death yeah which obviously is kind of part of the whole argument that do you have diminished responsibility if you're mentally disabled should you be put to death or should you have a different sentencing than the mm. death penalty because of your diminished responsibility. Yeah, so in the UK, one of the cases that actually led to the er eradication of the death penalty in this country was the case of um, a man with, uh, I guess, a learning disability is what we probably call it, Um, somebody called uh, Derek Bentley. And he, unfortunately, was put to death. I think he was only um, exonerated of the crime relatively recently uh, it was it was decades after it happened um i think God, i want to say it's in the 90s but i could be very wrong there um but obviously his family campaigned for many many years to recognize that that, that was wrong yeah um because he, he was not capable he was not capable perhaps of really understanding the situation and what was being said and, and everything i'm not going to go too much into his case but it was one of the reasons and one of the arguments that the death penalty is not an efficient way um, of dealing with um, people who have been accused of crime. Well, also because... the, the other one, one of the one of the others that stopped the UK from having the death penalty was a person who was put to death who was falsely convicted, and it turned out it was his landlord that did the murder. Well, exactly. The idea that the death penalty does not allow for later evidence to come to light and potentially exonerate people, potentially find out who actually committed those crimes and who has been wrongfully imprisoned. Now, if you've already killed someone, then it's very difficult to let that person out of prison and go live their life. And obviously you can clear their name, but what what good is that if the person's dead? Like, they don't care anymore that their name's not clear. Fair enough, it might give some comfort to the family. I think it's a very interesting idea the idea of of going and watching the person be put to death i can i can understand wanting to be there for the sentencing of someone and be there to see them put in jail or put in prison for whatever the sentence is i personally don't agree with the death penalty i don't like the death penalty and life in prison without the possibility of parole is in my opinion a much better punishment yeah i think the thing is is some people might see that seeing the sentence being put into action is seeing someone being put to death if that's what they have been given as a punishment so some people might still get satisfaction or that might not be the right word for it but maybe even like the consolation of, of seeing having this closure um perhaps even seeing this retribution for something that this person has done. Well, for sure. Uh, and it's, you know, supposedly. it's not even necessarily the, the victims or the victims, like, families that, that want it. Like, if you look at Ted Bundy, when Ted Bundy was put to death, there was so many people outside that courthouse. They were selling T-shirts that said, Burn, Bundy, Burn. Like, there was such a celebration. And they the, the guy, one of the detectives on the case... Um, when it happened, he like as soon as he came out after watching this man be put to death, he like punched the air and was so gleeful, which he has later said he regrets that being his reaction. But there was yeah. like a party and a celebration of this man being put to death. And I understand Ted Bundy was a monster. I'm not condoning any of his actions. But it's just such a weird scenario to see. Yeah, I think it's a sort of thing... Well, thing is, I guess it's very hard to understand the other side fully, isn't it? I think I think it's fair to say that both you and I are not on the side of death penalty. We both don't agree with it personally. So we're not the best um, people to be having a debate between ourselves. No, exactly. <laughs> it's clearly very one-sided. But I think that it would, therefore, it's very difficult, perhaps, to understand why the other side, why people who may be pro-death penalty might feel and, and act in the way that they do when somebody is is put to death for the crime that they have committed yeah. but 
But then in, in this film, that's another reason why it's so nice that they are able to overcome those barriers and actually are able to um, connect and see each other. And I, when I was watching it, I saw it kind of as a, a, a film about freedom in many ways. Yeah. Um, the idea that obviously they are fighting, Lucy and her family are fighting for the freedom of their father, for them, him to, at the very least, not be put to death, but hopefully be completely um, cleared of this crime and therefore be allowed to be kind of freed back into society. So we have that element of freedom, but then there was also this, towards the end of the film, it felt like as Lucy started to recognise that her father's culpability in this situation, this freedom from trauma that she is, by the end of the film, after he has been put to death, able to, you can't fully get rid of that trauma, but feel a sense of release from it almost being over. This is in the past. There is closure there. You can move forward. You don't have to keep fighting and fighting constantly against something because it's already happened. Exactly. And then in Mercy, there is this kind of fight for freedom, in her case, for... Um, escaping this more conservative background where she's perhaps not being able to be true to who she is. Uh, she's got a boyfriend. She's got the job her parents want. She's living under their ha- uh, like under their roof. Um, she's going along with their way of life. And it's actually through Lucy that she, she finds this freedom of being able to express a part of herself that she hasn't perhaps previously been able to express. And by the end of the film... She has left her home situation and her job and her boyfriend and all these things. And she's starting to try and act out a life that is more true to who she is. So there's so many kind of levels of of freedom there where, you know, people who have been trapped in this system of trying to find a way to get their father to be freed for eight years. Imagine eight years being trapped in this situation and by the end it is a release although it's not what they wanted they didn't want their father necessarily to die when they realized that he probably did kill their mother and yeah. there's got to be this real kind of torn emotion there like who do you love more your your father the murderer or your mother the victim i mean come on that is fucking tough to try and work your head around how you feel in this situation. Oh, you can't even begin to imagine what that exactly. situation would be like. Like it's such a it's such a shit show of a situation. <laughs> it really is, and just therefore, by the end, this sense that they can just pack up their boxes and leave the house where it happened and move to another place and start afresh, and they don't have this ongoing battle that they've had with them for eight years that is a sense of freedom that eight years they've basically been in prison as well because they're still in the house where their mother was murdered they're still doing the same thing every time the the older sister is is having a relationship with the lawyer because they can't afford to pay the lawyer yeah so like she's sacrificing everything yeah to try and get her father out of prison but at least if they had had a, a definite, if their father hadn't have strung them along for so long and just said, mm. like admitted his guilt, they could have moved on out of their prison a lot sooner. Well, they talk about moving the dressers so that over the spot where they found her body, so they didn't have to look at it because they couldn't. And get imagine, the blood out. like, exactly. Imagine if you are sat there trying to watch telly and. All you can see is the spot where you found your mother as after a fourteen-year-old as well. Attacked. I mean that that is crazy. So when they chose to leave, leave the house, that was just such a positive move for their whole family to just move away. That was the kind of underlying theme. I don't know if it was intentional. And the fact that her name is Mercy, obviously Lucy is. I mean, if you think about the song, Lucy is begging for mercy. She's begging for both the freedom of her father release but her. she's also the the freedom to be able to engage in this relationship perhaps with somebody who is um on the wrong side of of the argument in her view though i did appreciate that she was such a diva that she made lucy stop the car on the side of the road so she could dance oh. in the car which I also mean, that what was a, a diva moment. I loved it. What a beautiful moment, though. It was so, so <laughs> beautiful. You know, the um, all of the sex scenes in this? 
which mm. I mean, I like I don't know what you thought, but I thought they felt very real and and yeah, they beautiful. Did. Um, they actually were all choreographed by the director and her wife, like so they oh wow like thought them up themselves, obviously from their relationship and choreographed them for this mm. film. It probably also does help having queer actor play a queer role because there is an element of like of course some of those um, sex acts and stuff can be replicated in many different gender and uh, <laughs> sexuality expressions. Um, but I think like having somebody who perhaps has had experience of, of those types of sexual situations makes it seem far more um, realistic and relatable for the people watching it. And it's usually um, more interesting to watch. Also, directed by a queer woman means that you're exactly. not watching it through the male gaze. Yeah, 100%. And that's incredibly important. It makes such a difference. And you can tell. You can. Like... This was beautifully seem... shot, and it's it was, it wasn't just sex for the sake of of putting it in, like it moved the story along. Yeah. It was beautiful. It was well done, and it seemed realistic for queer sex. And it showed their connection, yeah. as well. There's this like close bond that they had with each other. Yeah, it absolutely showed that. Um, so one slightly <laughs> slightly off the uh, queer sex <laughs> talk, but uh, one of the mm-hmm. other things I loved about it, and this is this just is because of my like true crime sort of I don't want to say obsession, but oh, it's bordering on. <laughs> um, so I loved I loved that they showed the last meals uh, of each of the people that were yes. put to death because that's one thing that fascinates. Me. I love finding out like their last meals and like what they chose because obviously it's just such a weird scenario to be in. Like yeah, you know you're going to think... die. What's your last meal you want? Like yeah, and it's also um, obviously it's, an, it's a really interesting and compelling image to see mm. that humanizes the person. I think this film does really well to not make any judgments as to which side is right, but it does humanise the people who are involved um, in the situation. Yes. And I think it does that also through these images of the last meal. They are not just a crime they have committed. They are a human being. They will, you know, ingest this food, just like you sat down and ate your dinner as well. Yeah. But the only difference is that this is their last one. Well, one thing one thing I do find with, with this film because normally, obviously, you see with films or with true crime documentaries or whatever, you see it from the the point of view of people talking straight to the serial killer or the sure like quote bad guy. But the victims sometimes don't get so much of a voice. Um, yes. So as much as I find it fascinating finding out about their last meals and stuff, you like it is just adding more to like the glorification of serial killers. Whereas I like with this film, it it does that. It shows the last meal. It humanizes the issue, but it also it doesn't now. It doesn't go into detail about the victims themselves. Uh, it doesn't really name the victims. It doesn't have any of that because that's not what the film is about. It shows the other victims in these situations. Yeah. It shows the victims of someone who is potentially on death row for not committing a crime. Obviously, we know. Spoiler alert: they did. I think it's a bit late for spoiler alerts in this book. <laughs> Um, but also like it shows the the other side of it where the partner and people who are basically family of a murder victim are there so it shows it shows the other victims around the crime i think also like often you see in the press the family friends uh people who had some kind of connection to the victims you don't often see the family that have been left behind by the absence of the person who has committed the crime, who has been put to death. Yeah. And this very much centers on, on them as the main drive of the movie. You know, our protagonist is Lucy. It's not Mercy. We are following her story as she explores this, both, both her sexuality and her kind of, kind of her coming of age a little bit late in life. Because she is finally being able to break free from what her life has been trapped in so far um, after the death of her mother. It's really interesting to... I keep saying interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Fascinating that we see their side and their trauma and how their lives have 
stagnated or stopped or have not um, run perhaps a more natural course than it would have for them. All of these added complications that get put in there. And again, it doesn't make a judgment about kind of whether death penalty is right or wrong, but it just exposes more of the uh, scenario, more of what, what life is like for those involved, not just the person uh, convicted, but the people around that person and how their life has come to a standstill because of his actions on one day and how that has led to years of their life being destroyed. But they are the victims as well. Oh, 100%. And yeah, you're right. You don't see that often enough because it's a tough one because you're you're almost blaming the whole family for one person's mm. actions by being like, oh, we won't talk about this side. We won't see the pain or trauma because their son or their dad or their brother or their sister or whatever committed a heinous act. But it's not it's not the family's fault. Yeah. And one thing I liked, actually, is we never really found out, as far as I'm aware, I mean, perhaps I missed it, but we never really found out why mm. he killed their mother. No, well, because and he, he goes to say, you need to hear this, and they refuse to listen because they don't want to hear that they've wasted the last eight years of their life for a murderer, but basically. He... Was he even going to tell them why? why? I don't think so. We don't know. Don't know. And I thought that was really interesting as well, because we, therefore, they can still find closure without necessarily knowing that. But it does mean in a way that he still is controlling their lives, even once he's died. So any um, kind of last things you want to kind of say uh, regarding this film? Uh, honestly, I'm just, I just, I really enjoyed this film and I think that I want more Elliot Page and Kate Mara together. Um, <laughs> I think they're great together. Um, I've, I've they have watched, great chemistry. They have such great chemistry. You can tell, like, they've just got such a bond. Even in interviews I've watched with them, like, they're just great together. And like when they did Tiny Detective, um, which I don't know if you've seen, it's like a funny or die skit. It's, yeah, they're just great together. But, um... <laughs> So yeah, I just I want more Elliot Page and Kate Mara. That's my that's my takeaway from this film. Um, Fair enough. Yeah, put it out into the universe. You never know; it might happen. Absolutely. What about you? Do you have any final thoughts on uh, my Days of Mercy? Um, I think it was just uh, I always like to watch a film where it engages me on a moral quandary about whether something is right or wrong mm -hmm. and this although it made no judgments it, it certainly kind of sparked questions yeah and so i really enjoyed that awesome i'm glad you liked it and i'm glad that uh i have this podcast now to force you to watch things <laughs> yes it's honestly it's the only way i procrastinate far too much <laughs> um all so. right well so that was uh, My Days of Mercy. So, Soph, what did you pick for this week? So I have chosen the 1998 films of Faculty, which is directed by Robert Rodriguez. And I have chosen this purely for the fact that I remember it being a really great film when I was a teenager and wanted to revisit it. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's about um, a group of students who start to notice that things are going a little bit strange at their high school. And they, particularly with the faculty, hence the name, <laughs> and uh, they soon discover that there is some kind of alien um, invasion happening in their high school and they need to fight against it. There is not a lot of plot, <laughs> but uh, it's just really good fun. And it has a great cast. It has Elijah Wood. It has Josh Hartnett. And I think it's one of his first big roles. Mm -hmm. It has uh, Clea Duvall, of course. We always sneak her into this podcast. Got to. Um, love her. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's got uh, Sama Hayek, who I remembered being in this film far more than she actually is. It's I wonder got... why that is, Soph. <laughs> mm, I wonder. Uh, Piper Laurie is in it. It's got... Oh, gosh. Uh... Oh, what's his socks? Um... Robert Patrick, who is a Terminator. That's I watched it. And I was like, oh yeah, that's who he is. Um, it's got I don't know how to pronounce her name. Frumke Janssen. I really apologise if I've mispronounced that. Who I was like this time around, never picked up on it before. Was Jean Grey in the X Men? Oh yeah, <laughs> I, was like, oh, I know. Yes, I hadn't picked Brilliant. up on it before, but I think it's because we. I probably haven't seen it since I started watching X Men. Yeah, probably, <laughs> probably, genuinely. 
Um, and it's also got John Stewart in, in a random role. So <laughs> it's got a really great cast. Really great cast. Oh, I agree. The cast the cast is amazing. It's just uh, such a ridiculous, very, very 90s film. Um, <laughs> there's lots of really great, like, one-liners in there. Um, so uh, I think... Uh, is it Casey is Elijah Wood's character? Yep. He said, um, right at the beginning, he said, I don't think that a person should run unless he's being chased. And personally, I felt very seen by that because I do not enjoy exercise. So, especially especially running. Seen. Also, guaranteed, exactly. if I was running, even if it was running away from someone, I would fall, which I, I liked that he fell basically every time he ran as well. I, yeah. felt, I felt seen. <laughs> Exactly. And when he was sitting on those bleachers, was he perhaps the original sad Keanu? I think he might have. <laughs> he looked so sad and he's just sitting there like all by himself on these bleachers. Um, Which I again, like, I could relate to. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I have a very hard hitting question uh, for Ooh, the very okay. beginning of this. Josh Hartnett's hair. Oh, was... I, I have literally made a note here. Egregious fringes. Egregious fringes. But his Oh his, my god. His hair was was that a thing? Was was that look sort of the weird choppy cut short very straightened hair? Was that a look? Yeah, but like no, for him, yes it was. As Zeke, <laughs> yes it was. But he he had particularly in the front, it was really short. And then yeah. um the teacher who is Jean Grey from the X-Men, <laughs> has a really weird uh, fringe as well at the beginning. And yes. I was just like, what, who is this hairstylist? My God. And can we bring it them was back Zany. for more films? <laughs> uh, yes. It, I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong, it was a unique look. But yeah, I have got just egregious fringes written in my book. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad that we both started with the really hard-hitting <laughs> section of this film. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Okay, it's so... It's really important. Obviously, you, you've you covered, like, kind of why you chose it. Uh, and boy, am I glad you did. I have I have not <laughs> seen this film for so long. And I... I haven't seen it since it. I was, like, 14 years old. Same. And I just... And I, obviously, part of me loving it was definitely nostalgia. Um, yes. Like, it's not a fantastic film, but is it fun? Yes, yes it is. <laughs> absolutely. And also, I think I got more from it this time than I did watching it as a teenager, because... As a teenager, I just was like, alien invasion, like, that was basically it. Like, I didn't look into any of the other side of it. Obviously, I was like, oh, they're being bullied. Oh, they've sort of changed. But I didn't look past any of that. What I found really bizarre, and it's really not how I remember it from when I was a kid, so much of this film is set up. Like, yeah. it's like almost two thirds of the film. And then something is like, and we found the, the mother beast, the mother alien, and we're done. Okay, cool, good. We're just going to have a few moments while we run around some buses and <laughs> try and escape this army of footballers and <laughs> football aliens. And then we're, we're done. We're done. Um, I kind of... Really I kind of ending. They also set up... They did setups upon setups. So they did the yeah. first setup of, like, all of the teachers. They obviously did the setup of the kids and they're, like, stop, like, who images and who they are and everything. Very 90s. But they did the setup then of the teachers as well, like separately, them being mm. like, "Oh, we can't have this. We can't. You can't t go to like New York for your field trip. You can't have any money for this. But of course, we can pay for all of the football stuff because we're in a football town. Like, mm. and they so they did the like setup of that, and then the setup of the film, and yeah. then the like the payoff of the, well, it was think... very short." The setup of uh, the whole thing about football, I guess it kind of grounds where the, what, where the movie is taking place. But I just think that the director wanted, or the writer wanted to make a political message there, <laughs> because yeah. it really didn't serve anything else in the rest of the film. No. Um, so well, <laughs> it I, was a bit of a, a bizarre one. I think they made quite a few messages in this, like much deeper than I ever picked up on before. Like, like, okay. like that, for example, the... Like, obviously, it's a football town. You can only pay for sports, which is such a huge thing in America. In England, yeah. it's not. But, like, we didn't grow but up with any, that... <laughs> like, yeah, any no, funding. No, definitely. But, like, the idea that, oh, you can't buy new textbooks, but we can buy a new kit because that will make money. Exactly. Um, And then the, the sort of pro-drugs stance that it took. 
which yeah. I, I just definitely let tweak. at the, at the <laughs> uh, when I watched it obviously I was just like as a teenager I was like yay drugs but like <laughs> watching it now I was like oh how did they get funding to do such a pro drugs film like I, I thought it was great yeah. Um, well, I guess he does. He does say that most of what is in his normal stuff is basically just caffeine pills. Which, so by the not, way, as someone who's not definitely overdosed no. on caffeine pills, <laughs> don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> but I think he's, you know, they do make it clear that he's not actually selling drugs. Really. Oh, but he's basically uh, selling like a homemade, like what ecstasy type. Like, because yeah. he also said other home well cocaine because you snort yeah. it. Yeah. So, but um, I did think, I did think good ways to uh, carry around your drugs in a pen. Oh my God. I thought it was genius. so genius. So genius. genius. I loved it. You can it. snort it right up. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought it was so smart. <laughs> also it makes a great weapon. Stab it right in the eye. Love a pen to exactly. the eye. Exactly. Right in the aorta. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, another oh clear devour film. <laughs> We're referencing Girl Interrupted. Um. <laughs> um, yeah, but the other the other thing I picked up on with regards to messaging I definitely had not picked up on as a teenager was, so, you know, obviously at the beginning they're all sort of the, like, the outcast or the, the jock or the bullied kid or whatever. Like, they're all these, these stereotypes. It's very John Hughes. Yeah. And then they, at the end, they all change to yes. become these other people um, mm. and fit into the society of whatever, the high school society. Yeah. Um, and then Casey at the end says how much better everything is. Yeah. And as the camera zooms out, as they walk off and he's dating the popular girl, um, you see another kid Someone being else. slammed in to the pole just like he was at the beginning yeah yeah and so it's like oh things haven't gotten better for like everyone everyone. it's just better for you so then i was like thinking about like oh is that a like just showing that that they've they've changed they've just become blinkered they've grown up and moved on and it's just the same systemic like institutionalized issues or is it that they're now Basically, they've body snatched, like been body snatched under someone else and not noticing all the issues. They all got what they wanted, really, didn't they? Yeah. Because Casey didn't want to be the nerdy character anymore. He doesn't end as a nerdy character. He ends as the hero. Yes. The person who gets all the press. Basically, the equivalent of a jock. Somebody who celebrated at school. You know, Claire DeVal, for some reason, wants to date that jock guy and she gets him and automatically loses all her eyeliner. Much preferred Um... her as a lesbian, just saying. So did I. I mean, she was a violent lesbian. I wrote that down. Um, because being a lesbian is just my security. Um, I was like, wow. Me too. Was... <laughs> it's all right, though, because I'm not aware of any lesbianism in my lineage. <laughs> I fucking loved that. <laughs> I just loved those lines. I was just like, oh. So whoever wrote this, despite the plot, not being great. <laughs> the lines, the individual one-liners were pretty great oh agreed and very Um, (laughs) very 90s sort of cutting teen smarter than their years definitely the way they speak and and for for a sci-fi horror not normally my genre clearly my parents knew me when they bought this on vhs for me because it is one of the campus ones i have (laughs) seen like of like the 90s um so (laughs) the fact that they have all these kind of sassy comebacks and stuff is pretty great (laughs) Uh, agreed agreed I did not like that Claire Duval was playing a fake lesbian, though. I know. She's so much better at playing a lesbian. I mean, not that like I'm limiting to her to that. It's just I do like to see her in that role. <laughs> I mean, I like to see most people in that role. <laughs> but well. also, the whole, the whole... It just didn't ring true to that being her security. Like, because she wanted to be left alone. And as someone who was out, fair enough, not in the 90s, but in the early 2000s, you were not left alone for being a lesbian. or Like, you would scare people off, in fairness, but you were not left alone. You were frightening. (laughs) (laughs) I was a violent lesbian. (laughs) You you were a violent lesbian. You really pushed me away, so there's no way that I'm still in your life 20 years later. (laughs) 
I mean, you were so... It's all right, because I so changed and I lost all of my makeup and, you know, started dating, dating the jock, so... In all fairness, you did lose your gothy eyeliner. <laughs> I did, I did. I did not lose my yeah. love for the women, though. But no, no. But, you know, the shrines came down. You're a bit more subtle. Well, the, sh- the, sh- <laughs> the shrines only came down because I left school and you had to empty my desk. <laughs> well, there was that, yeah. <laughs> um... <laughs> I think, um, like, it wasn't particularly subtle, but I think the idea is meant to be um, in this film that being a teenager is akin to the alien experience, to having this uh, feeling about yourself where nobody understands you, the adults are all aliens in themselves because you can't understand where they're coming from, Um, you're, you're like different species to each other, and almost like puberty is like a parasite, um, in the way that it, it changes you, it controls you um, in different ways. I think it wasn't subtle that that's what it was doing. And I'm only literally just realising that this is the second film I have chosen <laughs> with a monster that infiltrates teenagers because of puberty. I think it's just the sort of thing that when you are going through that yourself, you just you don't even always understand who you are as a person, let alone fathom how other people can truly understand you, particularly adults who, who are telling you to do certain things that you probably don't want to do. Or who have expectations of you that are not true to who you are. Um, So I think that's the the clear message of the film. It's not particularly deep. I mean, we just had like a really long conversation all about the death penalty. And I'm like, guess what? Being a teenager (laughs) is hard, guys. That's what this film is about. Um, (laughs) It's really like not as in-depth. a discussion but it's just a fun film and yeah. I there were so many bits where I just found it like hilarious but not in like a a, a way that is mocking of the film in any way no. just that it's like the special effects of the time and just like the right at the end when Casey gets all of those little um kind of oh, his face. things in his face and they all just flop onto the floor <laughs> made me cackle yes so, <laughs> also the um, um the uh, headless teacher when it crawls back over like yes it, it and felt they, and he's... very much like an homage to to early sci-fi special effects i loved it well i also i just kind of felt like uh he just i love the fact that zeke just goes oh fuck this i can't be asked yeah off. <laughs> it was brilliant and i was just thinking actually you know how i talked about casey and those bleachers at the beginning yes he uses like the inside bleachers mm-hmm. to kill the parasite monster alien thing so yes. you know it really does come full circle yes absolutely now one thing i will say i know that Josh Hartnett's character is meant to be a year older than everyone else because he had to repeat high school. Yes. But he's still a high school student. So at the Mm -hmm. end, when it's like, oh, he's dating the teacher. It's gross and weird. Yeah. Not okay, guys. (laughs) Not not okay. (laughs) Not okay. Not okay. I mean, really, it's really wrong when he's even just offering her condoms at the beginning. So (laughs) it's just, there's this weird thing where it used to be kind of idolized or revered in some well not revered that's the wrong word but um it was always kind of suggested that trying to get with the teacher was really hot yes. or something yes. or that it was acceptable and it's like no there is an imbalance of power and even if there were they were ages where it was legal it's just a bit strange and there's a bit the, the power Please imbalance don't do it. yeah yeah it's not okay yeah. I, I know position I've... of authority there's a few like queer films that I watched when I was a kid that had that student falling for a teacher and they get together. And I was always just like, oh no, no, no. It's not an okay scenario. It's really weird. Yeah. And unfortunately it happens in real life. Yeah, it's just, it's really bizarre. I don't know why it's seen as being this really attractive thing. I I don't understand it. And it kind of repulses me, especially as somebody who no. works with children yeah, as someone who works with children, I can't even like imagine anybody anybody in that situation wanting to do that sort of thing. No. It's, it's wrong. It is completely wrong. Yeah. And so it's weird. Like, I know this is from the 90s, but like you do still watch films and sometimes it's like, oh, God, what are they doing? They are... It's not necessarily like having an older and a younger person in a relationship. It's because of the ages that they are. And the fact that there is an authority figure in there who has way more power balance in there. Yes. And the fact that depending on the ages, it's also illegal. 
Yes. So, well, in fairness, you can be arrested as a teacher having any sort of relationship with a student, like, or at very least, you can be fired because it's it's morally wrong. So yeah, yeah, just steer steer clear of the students, guys. Yeah, it was the one thing at the end where you know how everybody got their happy ending, and then it's just like, oh Zeke, no, please don't. Yep, that's please not a happy don't. ending. You'll nope, no, not okay. Well, yeah, but it's just like, I, I did not understand the, the fascination. And you know what, actually, with all the relationships, did not understand why they got together. No. Because, like, okay, Casey and Delilah are on the same um, newspaper team or whatever, but they have absolutely nothing in common. Yeah. They have very different social groups or uh, friends or whatever. Yeah. It just seemed really bizarre that they were forced to go together. If, they, if anyone, then... if Claire Duval had to be with a man... Why didn't she get with Casey? They were they make way more sense. Sure. They had way more chemistry. Right. Because she was really into sci-fi and stuff like that. And he seemed to genuinely engage her in a conversation about that. Yeah. And seem interested. And yet the only conversation she really had with Stan yeah. was that he would rather get a D in for his actual work than get an A just because he's on the football team. And that was like I think the literally the most in-depth conversation I think they had. Yeah. So it was bizarre. And also, I thought it was bizarre that this angsty teenage girl would have a crush on, like, the jock, because from my experience, that has literally never been the case. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm sure there are occurrences where it happens. But you normally, those are very different personalities. And, that you know, they don't always, therefore, find each other attractive because they like different things have different interests do you know what i mean well i mean he didn't get with her really like she kissed him and then he went off and became an alien until yeah. she changed her whole personality and look yeah like so what the immoral it, there is that you have to change to get the guy it just was go back to being a lesbian clear like <laughs> honestly yes and i'm not saying she can't play straight absolutely believed that she could definitely fall for a guy oh, yeah. i just think that it was not it wasn't the right fit in this no. one no. Also, but, I'd much preferred her gothy look than her Molly Ringwald look. Oh yeah, it was. This was very Breakfast Clubby. Is yeah. it just me? No, it was. Like it literally had all the stock characters, just like that one. It, you know, it had people ha- somewhat having transformations by the end. Yeah. It has the fact that they all bonded despite being from different groups. The only difference is that there is like an alien parasite that is come from a dried up planet. Um, <laughs> needs to. <laughs> We're not going to ask questions, okay? You know, no. clearly they were sponsored by some water um, company or something for this because, geez, they drink a lot of water. But yeah. Also, I really enjoyed the, the design of like Parasite thing when it was in the in the tank. It was very, very Matrix esque. Yeah. It kind of connected all together, like little wires almost yeah, coming out yeah. of the end, like tentacles. Yeah, I didn't like. I definitely did not like the um, putting it in the rat and killing the rat. No, no, that was not a fun scene. No, but it was accompanied by Elijah Wood doing his best tweak out on the sofa. So yeah, that was a bit adorable. That was quite fun. <laughs> <laughs> the one thing I found bizarre is like when Clea Deval and I know that's not her character's name. Stokey, <laughs> Stokes, Stokes, and Mary Beth are in on the bleachers yes um and there's nobody else around yet because katie's about to run in i didn't understand why she just decided okay now i just want to do this spiel about not wanting to um keep trying to pretend to be somebody that i'm not which obviously is a message for stokey because apparently she needed to lose all her eye makeup and become violently heterosexual um (laughs) the dream guys the dream but but where did it come from that like why did mary beth suddenly decide she was going to reveal who she was or was it just because they realized shit we've got this far into the film we still haven't seen the fucking monster properly yet what i don't understand is why mary beth had her alone and didn't just turn her into a alien yeah, instead she's like, no, I'm going to become this weird beast thing and go swimming. <laughs> yeah. And then walk around naked. Yeah. Yeah, it that was, was that was also weird. I think, yeah, there's not really much else to, to say. I just really enjoyed revisiting this one. I hadn't seen it for like 15 years or something. 
so it was it was great to just kind of get it out and have a great time with it um yes it's not too deep um it's not very well paced but what a cast and there's some great lines and it is a little bit silly but also quite fun yes so, i agree it, it was just good fun, and that's fine. It doesn't have to be a serious film. Also, um, <laughs> I will say, using a guillotine blade as a weapon was a great. Who is that? Uh, Josh Hartnett when he uh, in the science when the science teacher comes in before he stands oh, in the eye. Oh yes, he does. Because I yes. my my folks used to have one of those guillotines um, when I was a kid, and I used to love using it. And I would always like obviously morbid, but I would always like picture. Like what would happen if you put your hand in it or your head or someone else's mm. uh, violent lesbian? And uh, yeah, so, the, like the fact that he used it as a weapon, I was just like, yeah, see, I was right all along. <laughs> see, I hadn't picked up that it was actually from a guillotine, so I like that your background really served <laughs> understanding this cult classic. Yeah, absolutely. So. That that was the main plot point of the entire movie. And they were like, I don't know if everybody's going to get this, but there will be someone. There'll be at connection. least one violent lesbian that will be like, aha! <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. Cool. I'm glad you chose chose this. I I enjoyed revisiting it, and honestly, I don't think I would have revisited it unless you had put it on this. Well, it it felt right because I've been I listened to quite a lot of uh, film podcasts, and I had been listening to Molten on music uh, movies, their um, back catalogue. And both Robert Patrick and Josh Hartnett's episodes came up and they both talk about the faculty. So I was like, right, it has to be done. I have to talk about it. I have to watch it again. <laughs> so it felt like the time was right. I like that. Um, to, yeah, it felt like it was right. So it was good It was good to kind of go back and, and revisit that and just, yeah, be able to have a good time. And it, I felt like it was a good palate cleanser after a film all about the death penalty. This was a little less serious. So just, just it was, a tad, uh, just a tad. So um, I thought it was it paired quite well. I agree, and it helped that it had some of our all-time favorite actors in both. Uh, so you know that's pretty, pretty enjoyable for us. All right. Well, I guess that's it for this week's heavenly features. So both Soph and I love watching holiday movies um, and winter movies. So we've decided for the entire month of December, so that starts on next week's episode uh, on Thursday, uh, we will be doing winter or holiday themed films. Um, so make sure you follow us on Instagram and Twitter to hear what ones we are going to be watching so that you can watch along with us. We hope that the films that we've chosen will help to get you into the holiday spirit or at least relax and snuggle up and cosy up so that uh, the end of the year doesn't seem too grey. And as we know, it's been a tough couple of years, so uh, we hope that the films we've chosen will at least uh, put a smile on your face. And don't worry, of course, we've got some queer ones in there. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Heavenly Features. We are at Heavenly Features Pod on Instagram and Heavenly Features Pod on YouTube. And we are Heavenly Feats Pod on Letterboxd and Twitter. Uh, head over to our Instagram and Twitter and give us a follow if you want to watch along with us. We will be announcing what films we'll be talking about the next week. And please rate, review and subscribe. This podcast was brought to you by 18 Maiden Lane Productions.